may be seated. I'm excited that you're here with us today, whether you're right here on site or you're joining us online on YouTube or you're listening on the radio. I want you to know that I believe God's going to grow us today and draw us closer to Christ. Um, I've been excited about this series for a time. I wonder how many of you are excited today? All right. All right, we'll work with that later, okay? Uh, it is an exciting time to, to dive into God's Word. I, I believe this series is exciting, this idea, can we ask that? Because all of us, if we're honest, have points in our lives where we have questions that we need answered, and we wonder, hey, can I ask that? Especially around people that, that have faith. See, we live in such a world that is uncertain, people don't know what to do, let alone where to turn. And here's the cool part. This is what excites me. Right now in 2022, now is the time for the church, we as Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, to declare that now, like always, that God has been and always will be the person that we can turn to for answers. And his word is where we should start. But I get it. It's okay to ask questions. Here's the question for today, though. And it's a fair question. Maybe the question some of you have, because we had uh, this submitted to us more than once in this form or one way or another, it says this, can we trust the Bible? Some of you are like, yes, obviously, I've never even really considered that. While some of you, that, that is still the question, the rub. In fact, this week leading up to this message, you've had a couple people say, well, what's the question for this week? And I shared with it, I have some people I really love says, that is the question I'm dealing with and it surprised me. People I love very much are like, I'm struggling with, can I trust the Bible? I pray today that your uh, will be encouraged and your hope and faith in the Christ and his word will grow. But why are so many people asking this question? It comes up at one point or another in our lives. Why? I think it has a lot to do with the fact that we live in a world where we place our trust in something that, that has great value or we, we believe it to have great value. And at one point or another, while we trusted this thing... This device, maybe this relationship, and it lets us down. It fails us. It breaks. We find out it's flat out fake. And that hurts. And I think if we're not careful, it lets us uh, to affect our faith in God and in our faith in his word. I wonder how many of you, just with a raise of hands, have ever been let down by something or someone, something or uh, something you possess, and all of a sudden you realize it wasn't what you thought. Raise your hand. It happens to all of us. It happened to Deacon when he was nine. Deacon is our second son. Here's a picture of him. He's a handsome young man, isn't he? I don't know if he's in the room now. He's be like, Dad, what are you doing? Okay, anyways, uh, Deacon, age nine, had a new hero, a Stephen Curry. Uh, if you don't know Stephen Curry, he just set the all-time NBA three-point record in a career. Stephen is like uh, possibly the best shooter of all time, and that's saying a lot because I thought Larry Bird was that for a long time. He's blown Larry Bird's records out of the water. Deacon's like, I want to be Stephen Curry. And, and so uh, at age nine, he's like, I want his shoes. These were his shoes, uh, the first generation uh, Stephen Curry ones. They were produced by Under Armour. And I was all about this as well because Stephen is a fairly uh, committed Christian from what I can tell. And on a lot of his memorabilia or products, he will write uh, Philippians 4.13. He knows that his strength and his contentment doesn't come from basketball. It comes from Christ. And I applaud that. And I was like, yeah, Deacon, let's get our hands on these shoes. Well, you know what could happen? Uh, his desire to be uh, followed and have his apparel was greater than Under Armour could have estimated because you couldn't find these shoes right off the bat. 
We're looking for these shoes for Deacon. I forget what size it was, and they can be found anywhere. Uh, finish line, the Foot Locker, online, we couldn't find them. And Deacon started looking for them also on the Internet. This was a few years back, okay? Uh, this was before we had an Amazon account. I wasn't, we weren't prime back then, you know? Um, there, there were things that you look for uh, just on the major stores, and they just weren't available. Until Deacon one day was super excited. He found a pair of Stephen Curry Generation 1s through this website called AliExpress. Anybody ever heard of AliExpress? Okay, like a few, okay? There was a time when AliExpress was competing with Amazon. Guess who won? <laughs> Deacon found these. I was like, let's order them. So we bought them. We hadn't ordered a lot of stuff on the Internet at this point, you know, just like big purchases on different things. But we ordered these. It was like three months later they finally came in the mail. We opened them. And we opened the first box. The first tip-off that we were onto something that wasn't the greatest was the Under Armour box itself, you could tell, was colored wrong. Okay, uh, Just the box was kind of deformed, and, and the lettering just wasn't quite sharp and right. Then we opened up the, the shoe box inside, and right off the bat, I could tell, these are not real shoes. Okay, But Deacon really was hopeful. He, he still was like, hey, these look pretty good. And I'm thinking all the time, I was like, we got some fakes here. Okay. And he put them on, and he was proud of them, and he began to wear them. Until about a day he realized that. He goes, I don't think these are real. <laughs> but he still wore them to school. But that was a moment for Deacon. He was let down for what he thought he could trust in, what he thought was real, had failed him, had let him down. I wonder what has been placed in your life, what you wanted to trust, what you placed your hope in, and then you were hurt by it. It creeps into our faith if we're not careful. But I want you to know today, and I've been praying about this, that you would, you would know as you leave here there would be a stronger faith. The Bible will not let you down. It is trustworthy. And it is important to know because it's the core of our foundation as Christians. What we believe about the Bible, about what it says about Jesus, is the path for salvation by putting your faith and trust in him. And yet the world is trying to, to chip away at our fundamental faith in God's word. And this really hurt my heart this week. I found out this from a recent Gallup poll. Only 47% of Americans believe the Bible is inspired by God, less than half. And even worse than that, only one in four, if you do the math, 25% of Americans trust the Bible to be actually God's word. We have a, an entire society around us that says this is not what we thought it to be. It, it's not trustworthy. Uh, they, they, it's going to let us down like everything else. But I want you to know, we believe at FCC, the elders and the staff, we may be in the minority, but we believe this is God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit given to us to make us fully equipped and uh, saved through Jesus Christ and allows us to be ready to live for him. But you can ask the question, can we trust it? It's a fair question. One of the, the values of our church that we established two years ago, right before COVID hit, the elders and the staff and the deacons got together. And the very first value that we uh, noted as, as important that we wanted to keep before us was this. We value biblical truth. What guides us, what directs us, what, what affects our decisions more than anything is what God has put in his word. Here's what God says about his word in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes, all scripture is God-breathed 
It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training for in righteousness. So that the servant of God, which is us, children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's a loaded promise. It's huge. But the Bible, the simple truth is what it's saying that is, that is huge. The Bible is declaring about itself that this comes from the mouth of God. And as you read it, as you trust it, as you put it into practice in your life, it will thoroughly equip you, not just partially equip, but thoroughly equip you for everything you need as a human on earth. It'll help you live within this world and work within this world. It'll improve your marriage as a husband and wife. It'll it'll make you a better parent, a better leader, a better worker, a better friend. If you trust and apply it, that's what it's declaring about itself. But I want to admit, I've never heard God's audible word spoken to me out loud. There's never been a time in my life where God spoke to me with a voice saying, Tyson, this is what you're to do next. But at the same time, time and time again, when I open this word and I, in a spirit of humility, say, God, uh, speak to me, teach me, train me, equip me to be a father, a teacher, a leader, a friend, God speaks to me through these words. I testify to that. It's what the Bible claims about itself. It can be trusted. And today, I believe I need to share this with you uh, and, and, and stand firm on the truth that God's word is our main guide, is our only true guide in this world. Because until we do this, until we trust the Bible, your ability to be transformed by God will be limited. I believe God can start working your life before you know the scriptures. But until you say, I trust this, and, and I, will, I will honor this, and I will obey this in my life, and, and, and I place my faith in what it says through Jesus Christ, you will have a limited ability to be changed by Christ. And here's the danger in our world. Less than half of our world wants to, to declare these are God's word, but everybody wants the blessings of this word. But here's what I'm suggesting to you. The blessings of this word and the changing of your life will not fully come until you say, I will not only want be blessed by it, I will obey it and trust it to be true. So let me ask you this. Are are you just following what's easy for you? Are you saying, I'm going to honor and obey this no matter what. It is my life guide. It's what I trust. Consequently, here's what the Bible says in Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing the message or the word, and the message is heard from the word about Christ. So here's the reality. When we hear it, we have a choice to make. Are we going to put our faith in it? Are we going to trust what it says is true? And our ability to be saved, and that's a big deal. That Life and death are balanced in the fact of what you believe about what it says about Jesus. Our ability to be saved and changed to look more and more like him is wrapped up in this idea, are we going to sell out to it being true? Not to say, well, it could be helpful teaching, but it's really not God speaking. And I want to give you some encouragement today. Uh, five proofs that the Bible can be trusted. The first one I've already shared with you, it's that it, what it proclaims about itself Remember back in 2 Timothy 3, it says it's God-breathed. And some of you will dismiss this. Some of you are like, I already believe what it says about itself. And others of you are like, that doesn't matter at all. And I get this, but let's just start here. Let's see what the Bible proclaims about itself. Look in 2 Peter 1. Peter writes, Above all, you must understand no prophecy or scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Notice the S in this. In most Bibles that you probably have, it's a capital S. And that's in the middle of a sentence. This is a denotation that this scripture was translated as an understanding it was the holy scriptures. This isn't just a scripture from any book or article. This is the scripture, the holy scriptures. 
And these holy scriptures did not come from a man's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what the Bible declares or proclaims is that it was created and recorded, directed by the Holy Spirit himself. That's the, that's the claim. The Bible claims that it can be trusted because God spoke it. Now, I understand this. Don't, don't lead me too far because this is the weakest argument at all. If you don't have faith, you're like, this doesn't matter at all. This is like Uncle Rico uh, claiming that he can throw a, a football over the mountain, which makes him better than any NFL quarterback ever's been. Uh, a claim from Uncle Rico does not make him an NFL quarterback. We can all agree on that, right? But he can throw a stake. Real, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I understand that if you're a doubter, the Bible claiming what it is about itself doesn't really matter. No more than Uncle Rico's claim. But I just wanted you to know what's on the table. Because what the Bible claims, if, we all, if we're all in about it, it says it is God's word. And if it's God's word and we believe it, we need to follow it. It's just not something we want its blessings, but we also need to honor its commands, its instruction. And let me be clear, what we follow here at FCC, even though we're in the minority now, is God's word is our direct. It's our guide. Here's what it also says in 2 Peter 3, and then we're going to go on to the second P. Remember that while our Lord is waiting patiently to return, people are being saved. And some of us are like, God, just, just come back. And, and Peter here is like, hey, be patient. Every day that goes by that God uh, doesn't send Christ to, to return is another day others are saved. So we, can, we need to rest in that truth. Our dear brother Paul also wrote to you about this. God made him wise to write as he did. Peter is saying about Paul, which Paul wrote most of the New Testament, Peter's saying God gave Paul the words and the wisdom to write what he did. Paul writes in the same way in all of his letters. He speaks about what I just told you. His letters include some things that are hard to understand. That's an understatement. If you've read Revel, uh, excuse me, Romans, some of it gets hard to understand. But people who don't know better and aren't firm in the faith twist what he says. They twist the other scriptures. Notice again, that's a capital S, and they will be destroyed. Here, here's a warning about scripture itself. When you don't know and you have a doubt about it, if you twist it to, to make it fit your life, it will lead to destruction. But when you commit to it and obey it, there will be a blessing. Uh, Peter here is saying, Paul writes all this to you, and you need to pay attention because it came from God. Because I know it's hard to understand. Peter is a lot like many of you and I. Peter was a regular fisherman. He didn't have a lot of training. He wasn't extremely uh, intelligent on his own. But through the Holy Spirit, God gave him great wisdom and discernment. He says, what Peter, what I've said, Paul also says, so pay attention because it's from God. But Peter's like, man, sometimes it's hard for me to understand. But notice in all this, it's the capital S. This is the Holy Scriptures that we need to pay attention to. We can trust the Bible because it proclaims that it's from God, the Holy Scriptures. But for some of you, that's not enough. For others of you, like, hey, I don't even need to hear the rest of the sermon. I trust God's Word of Scripture because my faith has been in it from childhood, and I've wrestled with this, and I believe. And I applaud you for that. But there's other reasons we can trust. Here's another one, another P to help you remember it. We can trust the Bible as a precise historical document. It's just precise. It's accurate. You know, for years, scientists, historians, and archaeologists have tried to disprove the Bible. 
They've said, uh, we're, we're going to find something in history or in science or, or in uh, an archaeological dig that's going to say, hey, see this about the Bible doesn't jive at all. It, it's, it's, it, it uncovers that it's false. But time and time again, what science and history have uncovered about the dates, about the places, about the people listed in the Bible, it all points to be accurate and precise. In fact, no historical book has ever covered more history than the Bible. You may be able to prove me wrong on that. that that's not something the Bible says about itself. But, but think about this this way. The Bible is 66 books put together, or letters or pieces of work, written over more than 1,500 years. So much longer than even our country is old. By 40 different people in three different languages, on three different continents, with the same precise story of God's redemptive plan from the fall of man in the garden all the way to the return of Christ. And it has never once been proven wrong. It is accurate and precise. You would think if humans were only involved covering that much of history, there would be some things that were misspoken, some, some dates that got wrong, some, some names uh, mistaken, some, some events that, that got messed up. But time and time again, history and science have proved the Bible to be true. They've done that from the beginning of time. If we would select 40 people from this room right now to give us an account of the history of the last two years during COVID, I think we'd probably have some contradictory information. We'd have some mistakes. But over all that time, God's word has stood up. It's been tested and tried and stands true. Archaeology has really tried to, to undermine the Bible at times through its study. Archaeologists have dug and dug to uncover, to disprove things, yet it's never been done. We know of at least 25,000 different digs that have taken place to, to dig up history. And every one of them point to affirm what God's word says about this person or this place or this event. It's solid. It's precise. Dr. Nelson Gluick, a Jewish archaeologist who, who's an expert in his field, who actually was put on the, 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 times, uh, the cover of Times uh, at one point in history, who is very uh, widely respected. Look what he says. He says, It may be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. Not one! This is a guy trusted to be even put on times, to be touted as a guy who's invested much of his life uh, to give us a history of the world. He says, Not one time has the Bible been wrong. Well, what an amazing thing! At one time, I thought I'd be an archaeologist. Uh, ladies, this is just a, a tidbit of information off the record. If you're looking for a man, if you're still looking for a guy, they say archaeologists are great husbands. Okay, Do you know this? It, it's just kind of a proven fact because the older you get, the more interesting you are to them. So they're, they're good husbands, all right? It's a bad joke, isn't it? But some of you dig it, right? I, I uncovered that from Daryl's vault. That is not true. That's not even nice, all right? But here's the reality. The more you uncover, the more the Bible stands strong. It's as a precise historical document. We can also trust it through its preservation. This is a different thing. This is the idea that, that when on the day of Pentecost, the church really began to explode... 
I mean, thousands of people were coming to know Jesus the same day. Uh, the church went off from this region to this region because they, they were from different groups of, of places there. They had different languages. And they were like, we want a, a, a piece of the historical truth that comes from God so we can share in our fellowship, our, our church family. They didn't even know what church was called then. They were like, we just want more uh, of what God has for us. And they were copying any evidence of, of God's word down they had. They didn't have the Bibles we know it at the time, but they would have this book and they would have this piece of scripture and they would copy it. They, we call these transcripts. And it was painstakingly difficult to copy a, a transcript of the Bible. There is proof in history that sometimes when they were copying down uh, the transcripts or, or the different versions, or not versions, but the different pieces of, of the Bible, they would have a scroll that would be uh, hours and hours involved in, in getting it right and they would make a mistake. Instead of just white out or, or delete or backspace, you know what they'd do? They'd start over. They were committed to preserving the word because they knew it was the word of God. That's what they believed. And we have a lot of documentation of these transcripts. Let me, let me just give you a comparison historically of how much proof we have of the Bible's accurate translation or, or transcripts. This is just a document that kind of shows some historical uh, documents. The, the, there's the column, the documents, the number of copies, and then the time. Not the date. This is the time of uh, the work until the, the most uh, noted copy that we have of it. So like Plato's work. We, uh, we know of seven old transcripts that, that date back to what we believe uh, Plato's original work. You notice there, the earliest one we have was 1,200 years after Plato's original work. Can we trust that that was really Plato's work because it was 1,200 years later than his original document? And we trust that that was real. How about this? Caesar has some work describing his uh, kingdom there in Rome. And there's 10 manuscripts that, that go back as, as far as we go. But it was still 1,000 years after he originally wrote it. But we trust that document. Homer's Iliad has 600 copies. But, but the, the most recent copies, the farthest back we go, is 1,000 years after that original work was, was written. And yet we trust that to be accurate and true. And then you get to the New Testament alone. There's 26,000 at least manuscripts from the, the New Testament that were copied and copied and copied. And look at this. They appeared only 40 years after the originals. This is not 40 A.D. This may be 100 A.D. or 80 A.D. But 40 years after we believe they were originally written, we see all these copies showing up in studies. This proves overwhelmingly uh, that there was uh, much preservation of God's word and excitement about getting into the hands of the people. This wasn't done through a printing press or a copy machine. People took time to preserve it. In fact, in the book Jesus on Trial, the lawyer and author David Lindbergh writes this. There is an enormous amount of evidence, 26,000 copies, if you might say, that the Bible is historically reliable. And that it was written by real men who were united in their commitment to truth. They know the great detail they went to make these transcripts, these copies, so we can share today in the Bible we have. However, some of you are understanding, every time you make a copy, what happens? There's some changes that often take place. Uh, the scholarly word here is a word we've been hearing a lot about lately. Uh, there are variants that can take place when things change. You ever heard the word variant before, anybody? All right, we won't get into that. But these things are called textual variants. And when you make a copy of a copy of a copy and you go back to the original or the closest to the original, we can say, hey, there's some variants, some changes have taken place from here. 
And there's thousands of them. And that may start to shock you. That in our Bible that we now have, there is discussed uh, thousands of variants or changes that have taken place from what we believe is the most original source. And that happens through change and translations and copying. But this author also highlights, and this is what gives me great peace, that 99.5% of them have no real meaning to our faith. Now, 5.5% of them are, are, must be examined further. But most of these variants, you know what they deal with? Misspelling. About 70% of these variants that show up once or twice will just be a misspelled word. And we're like, it doesn't change anything. Uh, another 20% of them deal with the lack or thereof difference of articles. Uh, one uh, copy may say it says the church. Another copy leaves out the, the article the. It doesn't really change much. But there's 0.5% of these variants of the original text that we need to take note of. And you're like, I knew it. 0.5% of the Bible cannot be trusted. I don't know if it changes your faith completely, but I want to just show you some of these highly uh, different changes that, that could really throw off our faith. For example, this one from 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at what it says in most translations or manuscripts. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. That, that's, that's, what, that's what we've known to be the, the correct translation. But they found one manuscript that says this. But you were like infants among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Look at the big difference. I, I don't know if this is going to shock your faith, but there's the variant, gentle or infant. Which one is it? I don't know that it matters, but that's an example of a variant. The, the interesting thing about the two words gentle and infant in our English language, in the Greek language, you know how different they are? One letter difference is the difference between the two different words. And what they believe, it was just a mistake. But the meaning doesn't change very much. But there's bigger variants, and I don't want to pretend like they're not there. I want you to help me find one of them together today. How many of you are old enough or been around Sunday school or VBS enough to know what a sword drill is? Raise your hand if you know what a sword drill is. We're going to do a sword drill, so get your Bible, and I'm not going to have anyone read today, but there may be a prize for the person that gets this if they can show it to me. So in a sword drill, you put your Bible on top of your head, and then someone in the room calls out a book, a chapter, and a verse. And whoever finds that first often is the winner. So what I want us to do, I'm going to tell you uh, the book, the chapter, and the verse. And then if you find it, raise your hand, holler out, and, and we'll see if you actually have it. I'm going to give you a little heads up. It's going to be one of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And um, on the count of three, we'll go. Here it is. Mark, don't go until I count to three. Mark 15, 28. One, two, three, go. So you can find this first. I'm going to find it as well. It's a variant, a very interesting variant. Raise it up if you can find it. Make sure you found it. You found Mark 15, 27, or 28. 28. Who's got 28? Look at it closely. Here's a little hint. It's not there. 27 is there. 28. Nine is there, but 28 is not in the text you have. Does anybody have a King James Version? You may have it in that version. Okay, the King James Version probably possesses verse 28. Here's what's going on. You may have never known this could happen. In some of the middle manuscripts that we had about Mark chapter 15, especially when King James Version was originally translated, there were some manuscripts that had this verse, and they said it's verse 28. But then um, when the Dead Sea Scrolls came around and some other findings, they realized they were earlier, better manuscripts, and this verse was not there. Here's my opinion of how it's there. And I've read this other places. 
it was someone who was copying this chapter and they made a commentary possibly that said these words. And the scripture was fulfilled that says he was numbered with, their, with the transgressions. This was probably someone's commentary that wasn't meant to be transposed or, or copied into another version. And it started sticking as the Bible. Does it change things? Not very much to me. But when someone says, hey, there's scriptures there that weren't there from the beginning, they could point to this argument and say, like, aha, the Bible can't be trusted. But guys, time and time again, these variants don't affect our faith in Jesus. I would encourage you to do your own study. What's interesting, if you were there in Mark chapter 15, if you would just go to any page, there will probably show you at the bottom the variants. If you have a very good Bible at all, it'll show you the possible variants and what it may or may not have meant. And they've been there your entire life. And if you didn't know it, no problem. Okay? But someone will come to you someday and say, we can't trust the Bible because there's these variants. You can share them with your own Bible of what's going on. You may be like, Tyson, but I've heard about variants you're not willing to talk about. I've heard about variants where there's variants that say Jesus was married more than once to more than one different woman. What about that variant? It doesn't exist anywhere. It's made up. It's from the internet probably. What about the variant that says uh, Satan was really a good person and God was just using him to teach us uh, to choose between him and, and other things? That's, there's no variant about that. What about the variant that says Jesus had blonde hair and blue eyes? There's not a variant that says that. What about the variant that says children obey your father and mother? It's tr- there's no variant. It's truth. Ephesians 6.1. Okay? We need to understand the difference of lies of this world and truth, and we've got to sometimes study. But here's my point. There has been a pristine process to copy the Bible and share it with us. Here's another reason we can trust. We can trust the Bible because it's proven prophecy. This is exciting. This may be uh, the one that's most compelling for me personally, but prophecy is something the Bible declares that will happen in the future. And you know what it does? Time and time again, there have been hundreds of these that the Bible declares that will happen years down the road, and it actually happens. And it can show that we can trust it. Uh, Many times in the Old Testament, there's uh, prophecy about Christ and the world and what would happen to the people. There are, in fact, 300 prophecies that Jesus already fulfilled, more than 300, about his birth, about his life, about his death, about his resurrection, and there are more to come about his return. And if, if he was able to do everything about his birth and his life and his death and his resurrection, I am convinced he will also fulfill his returning prophecies. What are the odds, though, that Jesus could fulfill all the prophecies about him? It's astronomical. It's even mind-blowing, the odds of that. Uh, In fact, mathematicians have have struggled to even put a picture on that. The odds of him fulfilling 300 prophecies, I can't even uh, begin to uh, articulate for you. Uh, The odds of him fulfilling even 100 of them are hard. But there was a guy, a mathematician, who did some uh, just statistical work about the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies. And he found... That if Jesus were to fulfill even eight of his prophecies, the odds of that are one in 100 quadrillion. That's a number that we don't get to deal with very often. That's the odds of him doing just eight, and he did 300 of them. And then it's still hard to understand what that would mean, but Lee Strobel put it into practice, and he gave us a great illustration years ago. I've said this before at church, but it's a great illustration. He said if you would take the entire boundary of Texas... And you would build a two-foot wall around the entire boundary. Texas is huge. 
And then you would fill that entire inside of Texas up to that two-foot boundary or wall uh, full of silver dollars and fill the entire state with silver dollars. And then you would have someone to go somewhere in the middle of Texas and drop one silver dollar and mark it with a red X and have another person or equipment mix it all up and then have a, a third person blindfold and walk out into the state and have them wander until they feel like they're there in that warm spot and bend down and dig through those silver dollars And the first one they picked up, if they picked up that one, that would be the chances of Jesus fulfilling just eight messianic prophecies. God's got this, guys. And his word is amazing. Uh, Think about just some of the crucifixion prophecies. The Old Testament, specifically David, hundreds of years before Jesus was crucified, described crucifixion before the Roman government even established what crucifixion was. Listen to these words and see if it doesn't remind you. This is hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. David writes about Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them, and they cast lots from my garments. Does that sound familiar? Hundreds of years before crucifixion was even developed by the evil minds of the Roman government, David gives us a glimpse of what was going to happen to Jesus. It has stood the test. It is trustworthy because of its proclamation, because it's precise, because of its preservation, and because of the prophecy. When you test the Bible, it stands up and it can be trusted. Remember Deacon Shoes, the Stephen Curry's Generation 1? He wore those to school for a couple weeks, and they worked out pretty well. He He was proud of them. His friends kind of questioned, hey, where did you get those? He's like, well, we got them on the internet. And they were like, how'd you get them? You know, there was some doubt if they were real from the beginning. But you know what? When all doubt went away, when he started using them in basketball practice. Remember, he's only nine. He weighs all of like 55 pounds probably at the time. But when he started cutting back and forth and running and jumping with them, when they were tested, they blew out. It was obvious they weren't really very good shoes at all. And he was still let down even more. But you know, the Bible has been tested, not for just a couple weeks, but for 2,000 years. And it stood the test of time. Every test it comes against, it rises to the occasion. And there will be a day when the world is like, what's happening here? Are we going to survive this? You know who's still on the throne, like the Bible says? Jesus Christ. And he always will and always will be. And we can go to the Word to be encouraged and strengthened. But there's one more P that I want to share with you that is probably as powerful as any of them. We can trust the Bible because of personal testimony. When you see someone who used to be living for themselves and their life was rough and and rotten and hurting at times, and you see them commit to the truth in God's word and give them life to Jesus and then begin to have peace and joy and a blessing like they never had before, that's a personal testimony that the Bible is true. And guys, I I want you to know on the flip side of this, I have never had someone come to me and say, I I started following the Bible and and I did what it says and, and I tried to trust it, but it let me down. That has never happened to me once in my life, where someone has come to me and says, the Bible uh, has let me down with what it says when I've tried to trust it. But time and time again, what the world offers will let us down. One other personal testimony is Lee Strobel, the man that did the the illustration about Texas and the silver dollars. He was and is an extremely intelligent man who set out to prove that the Bible and Christ were phonies. 
And he spent years of his life uh, trying to have, find proof and an argument to, to dismiss the Bible. But after years of study, you know what this man found? That everything about the Bible that he could ever uncover was real and true. And now what Lee Strobel does is go around the United States preaching and teaching about the authenticity and the trust we can place in the Bible. He, he, he wrote this book and other books like it, The Case for Christ. And if you're very interested in this, I encourage you to get this book and keep studying the Bible. If you're like, I trust it, this book would, may not be for you, but it may be for a friend. But, but guys like this are, have been changed by Christ and his word. If you need more evidence, pick a book like, up the, like than this. But you know, there's no, no better book that will change your life than the Bible itself. There's one other personal testimony that I just want to convey, and it's my own. I've never been disappointed by trusting the Word of God. It is the anchor for my life, and the words that Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, I believe with all my heart. And the Bible, when I apply it to my life, I do hear the words of God, and it makes me a better husband, a better pastor, a better friend, a better father. Am I perfect? No. But I would be a far worse mess if I wouldn't be placing my trust in His Word. And he is work, doing a work in me that will never change. Here's what the Bible says about itself in closing in Hebrews 4. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword that penetrates even the dividing soul and spirits, the joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It will cut right down to the bone of what matters, your heart and your thoughts. I wonder if you've ever given it a chance. So here's the challenge. If you have a device, that could be a phone, uh, an iPad, it could be a, a computer connected to the internet, I want to challenge you this month to, to put another resource on there that could really help, the Bible app. Many of you already have a Bible app, but if you don't, uh, just, just go to the, the, the store and, and search Bible app, Holy Bible, and download the Bible app. If you have children, probably uh, 12 and under, if they have a device, download on, them, on their, the, the, the Bible app for kids and it'll be a tool. How, many, how much time do we spend on our devices? We need to put the Bible where it's at our fingertips. It's powerful. So do that as a challenge, and then, and then share me, with me in this. Uh, starting tomorrow, let's as a church family read the book of John together. On Monday, let's read John 1 and, and go from there the rest of the month. And by the end of the month, we'll have read all 21 chapter, chapters, and I believe we'll be changed. And if you've never uh, accepted Jesus, I think it's very possible that, that in that reading, in that commitment to say, God, uh, what are you doing in my heart? It, you just might find salvation through Christ and hope that will change everything. So let's do this together. And I pray that as we read this, we just don't see it as Scripture, but we see it as God's Holy Scripture that's worth trusting in. Would you stand with me as I pray? Father in heaven, thank you for this challenge, this proof, these proofs that your Bible is worthy and reliable and can change our lives to give us a hope that changes everything. We know that Jesus was the Word that became flesh, and we trust in him. Father, let us lift his name high. And let our confidence grow in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.